is on our side. We sang there's power in the blood. We've just heard a song that tells us there's power and it's found in the work of the cross. And we're going to see in our study today, there's great power in Jesus Christ and his work in our lives. Mark chapter 5 is where we'll be today. If you'll join me in turning there, please. Mark chapter 5. And we are beginning a new chapter in our verse by verse study through the gospel of Mark by my my uh, uh, way of seeing things, we'll finish this study sometime in 2017 or so. We've got to pick up the pace a little, but we did get into a new chapter today, and we're going to cover a little more ground, and so I'm looking forward to that. Years ago, our girls received a, a movie, and they couldn't wait to watch it, and uh, we finally made an evening. We sat down as a family, and we put on the movie Peter Pan, and uh, we watched, and, and uh, I was enjoying it. Lisa was enjoying it. Jessica was enjoying it, but we have another daughter. I won't tell you her name. Her initials are Judy. Julie, however, okay, and she wasn't enjoying it. She didn't think Captain Hook was very nice. She thought he was mean and scary. And I didn't know that movie would terrify her, but later on that night, when it came time to put her to bed, she was absolutely scared to death. And so we began to talk, and, and uh, uh, she, she began to wonder what would I do if Captain Hook came to get me, you know. And she said, Dad, do you think Captain Hook will come tonight? And I said, no, he won't. And what would you do if he did? And I said, I'd use karate on him, you know. And uh, she seemed to be somewhat, somewhat satisfied. But then, uh, what if he used his hook? That's a good question. To which I responded, I'm very fast. I'll use my karate very fast, Okay. What if he brings his friends? And I said, not only do I know karate and am I very fast, I'm also very strong. And uh, that will be just fine. And she began to ask questions about what I would do in this event or that. And you know what she was doing from the mind of a child. She was essentially saying, Dad, if the worst case scenario came to pass in my life, could you handle it? If the scariest thing, the most frightening thing that I could possibly imagine happened, Dad, are you up to the task of handling that situation? We find a text before us today that contains a worst case scenario. You see, I believe just as children really have a desire to find security in, in their parents, I think all of us as we go through life, we, we need to know that there's a God, He's a God of love, but... A God that is greater than any obstacle we'll face or than any difficulty that will come our way. And we find a man in this study who has greater problems than we can imagine. And we also discover the power of Jesus Christ that was more than adequate to save him from his worst nightmare. This text contains some frightening elements and it also reveals to us that there's no need that we'll have that God is not able to overcome. And I feel very deeply about every message that I deliver from behind this sacred desk we call a pulpit. But I believe with all my heart that today could be the beginning of a great breakthrough. This study is for all of us today, but in, in a very special way, it's, it's for some of us. And I want to challenge you, just get in this thing with your heart. Have your pen ready, write down some notes. Uh, th this message could be the very one that God has planned to be a breakthrough day for you. And I want to invite you, if you're able today, to join me in standing as we look to this text together, Mark chapter 5, Mark chapter 5, and we're going to begin reading in verse 1. The Bible says, and they came over unto the other side of the sea and to the country 
of the Gadarenes. Now, I'm going to read on, but just to bring us up to speed, we had a guest speaker last week, Brother John Getch, Dr. Getch, I should say. Man, what a great job he did. And uh, last Sunday night was such an unusually blessed service. I just sensed the Spirit of God in it all, and, and I'm so grateful for his time with us. I was encouraged greatly. But to bring us up to date on our study through the Gospel of Mark, you'll remember the last time we were in uh, our study together, that Jesus was having a long day of ministry. He got in a boat with the apostles and was going across the Sea of Galilee. A terrible storm came, and, and that's really where we pick up in this study. The Bible says that they came over to the other side of the sea. Verse 2, And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains. And the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, He ran and worshipped him and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. What a a twisted view of God. (laughs) Don't torment me. There was worship happening in this text, but it, it wasn't the authentic heart of faith. Uh, This this was a misunderstood faith. Don't torment me, verse 8. And he said unto him, Jesus now, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. I'm sure you've gathered by now. We're dealing with a man who's possessed of evil spirits. Jesus now is encountering this man. And the spirits sense that the Lord's going to cast them from this man. And they, they have something in them. They, they long to possess an object. And, and if they can't have a human being, they say, at least give us these pigs. And, and really, that's a pretty good understanding for us. That's about how valuable we are to the devil. Just objects. Really not much greater value than than just a pig. Verse 13. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that was done. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed of the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. In other words, they saw Jesus and what he had done to their business. And they said, essentially, Jesus, you need to get out of here. We want you to, they prayed, they asked him to depart, to leave their coast. I want you to go back with me, please, to verse 2. We're covering a, a pretty good number of verses today, but there's a statement here that I think just embodies the essence of what it is we'll talk about 
uh, as we study God's word. And in the midst of verse two, we find this expression out of the tombs, out of the tombs. And an incredibly interesting passage of scripture, a very powerful passage of scripture. And I want us to think of this together today. So let's ask God's blessing upon our study. Lord, we thank you for the Bible, for the truth of it. And we acknowledge today our need of it. Speak through this time of learning today, Lord, directly into hearts and lives. I know that this study is for all of us. But, but I believe in a special way that this could be a uniquely helpful message for some. We love you, Jesus, and I, I need you to, uh, to know that we, we acknowledge readily we need your power at work in our lives. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. After a long day of ministry and an even longer night in dealing with the storm out at the sea, the disciples, along with Jesus, arrived into the country of the Gadarenes. This town of Gadara is a seaside community on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, and it was settled by the Jewish tribe of Gad. They settled this region, Gad, and it became to be known as Gadara. It was an area that was among the very few places that the Jews established on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. That's, that's significant, I believe, because it would have kept them the furthest removed from worship. It would have kept them the furthest removed from, from fellowship. The heart of what God was doing in the world in that day was, was happening in Jerusalem. And, and yet we find that these people were, were removed from the heart of it all. So we see troubles came to their land, whether that was because of their proximity from worship and fellowship, I don't know. But we find that Gadara is a community that is known for their commerce, and their commerce primarily is dealing with swine or with pigs. Now we hear that and we think, what's the big deal? We know bacon goes good with anything. I heard this week you can even put it on a salad and it'll make the salad taste good. I haven't tried that yet. I'll have to get into that. But we have to remember we're dealing with Jewish people who were living under the Mosaic legal system, which said that you couldn't eat unclean animals, and pigs were about the least clean of all the animals in the world. They kind of viewed them as, as the, uh, the animal vacuum cleaner that just got all the trash up. And, and so it was shocking to think that this area that had been established by Gad was now a place that was a purveyor of pigs. Whether it was the Gentile neighbors that were doing the work or not, uh, I'm not sure, but we, we see a shocking development here. And so Jesus lands on the shoreline, and from the shoreline, he could have looked up and, and seen the caves there as he, as he stepped off the boat. He would have looked up onto this hillside, and on that hillside are, are caves. And the caves served as the tombs for the residents of Gadara. This is exactly what Jesus saw when, when he looked up and, and saw that, that there was a man there. The Bible says that immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. This was an amazing scene. This man lived in the tombs. He was a wild man. In fact, we often refer to this man as the maniac of Gadara. He was a maniac. He was a wild man. We see the devastation in this man's life, and we see the road that he traveled, and we can learn a lot about the power of sin and evil. But we can learn even more than that about the power of God and the power of His love and of His grace. And we can gain some insight in this text today that can help us. If you don't have a pen, grab one, get your notes ready, because this is going to help you. And if you don't need this help, the Lord can allow you to use it to help someone else. I, I want us to, to understand what's taking place in this text. As we look to the Word of God today, we see, first of all, the downward progression. 
We see how the evil worked in, in this man's life. And, and we see that the devil had a plan for him. And I want you to know that the devil has a plan for humanity in general. I believe all of us would agree today, the vast majority for sure, that there is a God. And I think if I were to say there's a God, most people would say, right on, preacher, we're there with you. But I want you to know, just as much as there is a God, there's a devil. And just as good as God is, the devil's that bad. And just as loving as God is, the devil is just that hateful. And just as though God today has a plan in the world that he allows us to participate in, the devil has a plan for the world today as well. And just as God is very personal with his plan and sees a place in his one plan with your name on it, the devil too is very personal in his plan. And he has a place for you in his plan as well. There is good. His name is God. There is evil. His name is Satan. God has a plan for the world, and Satan has a plan for the world as well. Perhaps no verse that I am more familiar with shows this distinction in any greater way than John chapter 10 and verse 10. The Bible says, the thief, speaking of the devil, the thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's what the Bible says, the plan of Satan is. He cometh to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus says, however, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. How did Satan's plan for this man unfold in his life? As we look at this text and, and the terms that we see here, we can discern some things. And I, I want you to write this in the margin of your notes. I don't believe spaces are provided, but, but we need to understand this. The downward progression began with a disruption of his relationships. The Bible says of this man that he lived in the tombs. The Bible also says later in this text that this man had friends and family. So at some point, as this influence is leading in the wrong direction, he discovers that he needs to remove himself from those important relationships in life so that he can get closer to that which is captivating him. Sometimes as parents, when our kids are missing, we'll get to thinking, what are they into? Because kids know if they want to get into something, it's better be removed from that relationship. The Bible says that this man, he's in the tombs. That was the beginning of it all. Separating himself from those that cared. Separating himself from those that loved. He, he, he's being drawn in. And it wasn't just the disruption of his relationships. It moved on to the disdain for restraint. For the Bible says that, that this man had chains that couldn't hold him. The fetters couldn't keep him. The Bible even says no man could tame him. He had the type of attitude that said, I'm going to do what I want to do. When I want to do it. How I want it to be done. You can't tell me what to do. You're not the boss of me. I'm my own person. And so we see it begins with this distancing from any accountability at all. Hey, honey, where are you? Why are you always asking me those questions? I'm going to do what I want to do. And, 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 and it's that mindset, and it moves on now to a destruction of restfulness. The Bible says of this man that he cried night and day. He was enticed. He, he thought, if I can just get away from these people in my life, it'll then be great. And if I can get away from these boundaries in life, no rules, no boundaries. His theme song was, don't fence me in. And that led him to a lifestyle where there's no contentment, no peace, no joy. He's stuck. And he doesn't really know how to get out at this point. And then we see finally it leads to a devouring of respect. The Bible tells us this man was cutting himself with stones. 
No one would volunteer for a life like this. Yet in principle, our world is filled with people who live lives very much like this. They've been enticed. And they withdraw from those relationships. They take on a mindset that nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. And then, and then the consequence of that decision sets in. And there's, there's a sense of despair. A sense of having been lost. I, I don't know what to do to get out of this. And whether we're crying audibly night and day or not. In the back of our minds and in the core of our hearts. It seems at every moment of the day. There's an awareness. I've gotten off track. I've gone the wrong way. I, I thought it would be enjoyable. I thought it would be entertaining. I thought it would be fun. And I'm stuck. I'm a captive. And that leads to an acting out. Perhaps cutting with stones, perhaps not. But the despair can many times lead to a cycle that just starts over again and it leads us down the same road. Nobody would volunteer for this life. And we seem to have forgotten that if there is a God and the devil, as we uh, believe to be the case, we, we have to know that the devil is a liar. And that's the way he works. He doesn't come to you and say, hey, man, do you want to live in the tombs? Do you want to be cutting yourself? Do you want to live your life in absolute isolation because the things you do, you don't want anyone to see, you don't want anyone to know about, so you've got to hide when this is taking place? Jesus, speaking to the religious leaders of the day in John 8, said this, you're of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father you'll do because he was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he's... A liar and the father of it. Sin seems so enticing, but it leads to a downward progression in our lives. Moses understood this, did he not? As a young man, we read of Moses in Hebrews chapter 11, and he understood there was pleasure in sin for a season. Oh, it looks like it would be just great fun. It looks like it'd be the way to go. And then you get in and that pleasure is there, but it's a short-lived pleasure. And when it's done, you find that you're a captive. There's something controlling you. We can claim to be autonomous, doing what we want. We think we're the ultimate rebel because there's no restraints in our life. But what we do is put ourselves in a position where we're living in a restraint. We're a prisoner. That's exactly what this man was. And this is the, this is the sad state of affairs in our world today. Our world is filled with people whose relationships are in ruins. And they don't want anyone to tell them what to do. Don't preach at me. We know as a result of that, they're restless and dissatisfied and they seek to cope with their inner pain by acting out in various ways, some even through cutting, just as this man did. It's tragic because people are hurting and the best our world can do is try to treat the symptoms, the symptoms. But I think people innately know there's got to be a better way, but it just seems to be out of reach. And that's why we must see the second element today, the divine perspective. As Jesus steps from the boat, he runs into this man, and that would have really sent an ordinary man running. But when this man ran towards Jesus, he, he, he knew, that the, the people knew, they didn't try to chain that guy for no reason. He was a threat, and, and he's running out of Jesus. Jesus holds his ground, the man gets to his feet, and, and he falls down, and, and the Bible says that he worshipped him. He worshipped Jesus. It's always interesting to me how religious our world is. It doesn't matter where in the world you go. I, I've had an opportunity. I lived as a, as a young person outside of the United States, and I've had the opportunity to travel. And, and really, it doesn't matter anywhere you go in the world. You can go to the big cities of the world, Beijing, Hong Kong, Seoul, Korea, Manila, Philippines, and, and you're going to find they're all just steeped in religion. 
You can go to the most remotest parts of the world. You can go to the most isolated corner of Papua New Guinea. And you're going to find they're just incurably religious. A system of belief. Not the belief of the Bible. Not faith in Jesus Christ. But, but religion nonetheless. And it reminds me of that which the Apostle Paul spoke when he wrote in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 5. Of those that had a form of godliness but they denied the power thereof. In other words, they had a religious system but they, they didn't have a relationship with with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus looks at this man. And I just love the way he looks at this man. You see, Jesus looks at this man and he didn't see the maniac. He saw the man. As Jesus looked, we know that, that he didn't see the problems. He saw the person. He didn't see the tormentor as this man was known. He saw the tormented. I'm just grateful for the way that Jesus sees us. You see, the Bible is very clear that Jesus loves the bible in matthew chapter 9 and verse 36 of jesus says that when he saw the multitudes he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as having sheep with no shepherd you see jesus didn't look at them and say look at them they're so weak and feeble and anemic they're pathetic look at them losers they're so weak they're fainting they're wandering around like they have no direction, no guidance. Jesus doesn't look at us in that way with condemnation. He looks at us rather with compassion. He didn't look at this maniac of Gadara and say, this guy's an absolute mess. He'll never get it together. He looked at him through the lens of love, the love of God. Our world is quick to label people. They call some people hopeless. But to that, Jesus says, excuse me, I'm the blessed hope. Our world will label others, say, man, that guy's lost in tall weeds. He doesn't know where to go, what to do. He's just absolutely lost. And Jesus would say, excuse me, I am the way. Some would say in our world of people that they're addicts, they're captives. They've absolutely destroyed their lives. They're so hemmed in. They're never going to get out of it. And the world has labeled some as absolutely that type of a life. And Jesus would say, uh, again, if I may, not only am I the way, I'm the truth. And the truth shall make you free. There's no need for someone to live a vain and empty life, a hopeless life, a helpless life, a hapless life. He says, I've come that you can have life and have it more abundant. You see, John 3.16 has become so cliche. We forget that it was Jesus, God the Son himself, that said, for God so loved the world. We look at our world and we see all the problems, yet God, when He sees the world, He loves the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, not only do we label one another, I believe many of us look in the mirror and we label ourselves. We see that failure, we see that shortcoming, we see that regret. We many times define ourselves and determine our potential based on what we see when we're looking in the mirror. And I really believe the heart of God would say, you know, your assessment may be correct, but I choose not to see you for who you are at this moment, but for who you can become by my grace. You see, everyone in that whole area looked at this man and said, he's out of his mind, he's crazy, they were afraid of him. And Jesus looked and it was, it was something a little bit different. There, there, there was a perspective that, that, was, that was only seen through the eyes of God. But I want us to see as we move on here the direct process. The direct process. When this man comes to Jesus, verse 8 tells us that Jesus said, come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. I just love the way Jesus cuts to the chase. 
And this man's victory really began with the spoken word of God. And I want to say today, don't get too far removed from the Bible. There's power in the word of God. I believe we ought to be together every time the church doors are open for Bible study. I, th- I think our heart ought to be, man, if at all available, I'm, I want to be there so I can be around the Word of God. But I want you to know uh, that that doesn't take, take the place of that personal time where we open the Bible on a daily basis and read it. And, and there's power in the Word of God. Jesus begins to give this man liberty, and it started with his spoken word. But then Jesus says this, what is thy name? And I'm sure everybody was shocked when Jesus speaks through this man. He speaks past the man to the demons living within. And the demon answers. That had to be like one of those creepy moments, okay? What's your name? Well, the response is legion, for we are many. A legion in the Roman army was about 6,000 soldiers. This man had quite a problem. And I want you to see this. Jesus wanted to put a name to the problem. What's your name? We're not going to deal with general categories here. We're not going to live in the fog of life. We're not going to be the kind of people that say, you know, I have some issues. Really, which ones? Well, you know, just issues. I've got some problems. Well, what are they? Well, you know, I've just got got some problems in general. Jesus did not live in generalities. Jesus said, listen, if we're going to have victory in this case, we're going to be honest. We're going to be up front. We're not going to deal in just these, these foggy areas. What's the name of this problem I'm facing, this enemy I'm facing? Jesus just gets right to it. May I ask you today? What is the greatest problem you're facing in your life right now that's preventing your spiritual growth? Because we're not going to know victory until we name that little Hummer. We zero in on it. Jesus said, we're going to name this thing. No more are we just going to be creatures of habit, blaming the circumstances and the scenario that we're in. Jesus didn't start by dealing with this man's past or his behavior or strange relationships or his bizarre place of residence. He dealt with the core problem today. You know, we are so famous today for dealing with the effects of all of these things without understanding there was a cause. It's like having a a tree that grows fruits that we don't like and we just keep pulling all the fruits off going, oh, I just hate these fruits without understanding until you deal with the roots of that tree. The fruits are going to just keep coming. And so we try to get all the help we can get with all these different fruits. And God says, look, you're going to have to deal with the root. Name it. What's your name? I woke up a couple Sundays ago to a flood in our home. A pipe broke over a closet. And uh, that's how I started a Sunday, you know. And, and uh, so I, I got in there and immediately, quickly, tore out all the drywall and, and replaced it real quick and taped it up. And then I, I painted it and it swelled the door jams. I had to pull them off on the other side, replace those real quick. And I and, uh, was able to put all that back together. I put a fan on, on the carpet and then I thought, you know what, when I get home from church, I'm going to have to look at that pipe that's leaking. You know, I have to, have to find out. What's, that's not what you do, is it? You deal with the pipe. Yet many times in our life, we say, you know, I got to really get this thing cleaned up so from the outside I look okay. I want 
to look as though I have it all together. I want to look as though I'm pretty sharp. I want to be everything I, I'm hoping to one day become. And, and once I get the outside all polished up and looking squeaky clean, then I'll, I'll start maybe looking on the inside a little bit. And it makes as much sense as trying to trim all of the fruit off of a tree and acting as though that fruit is not going to just reemerge again in time. When Jesus taught the disciples about the importance of sharing our faith, he said in Mark 1 and 17, Come after me and I'll make you to become fishers of men. That was the analogy Jesus used, fishing for men. Now, I've done a lot of fishing in my time, and I've never one time in all of my years of fishing cleaned a fish that I had not yet first caught. You have to catch it first, and then, then in time you, you have an opportunity to, to clean it. And before Jesus can save our lives, he has to save our souls. It's an inside job, you see. He has to work from the inside, making his way out. So much of the frustration that I sense in life comes when I try to work on my life from the outside in. It never works that way. Jesus does his work from the inside out. He deals with the heart of the problem, which is a problem of the heart. And he begins with a work in us that in time begins to, to, to participate as a work on us. Philippians 1 and 6 says this, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You see the work, it's, it's a work that starts in you, in you. We see the direct process. Jesus just cuts to the chase. What's your name? We're naming this problem. and We're going after it. But we see also in this text the divine product, the divine product. If you have enough strength to hear one more point, say amen. I want us to work on this. How many of you have someone you love that's, that's stuck in an absolute cycle that's holding them captive? Many of you. I think most of us would say, we know someone that's struggling with drug addiction or alcoholism or pornography or whatever it may be. And I'm not so naive as to think that this isn't something that, that many, many of us today would say, you know, uh, I, need, I need God's help in this way. And you see, God the Spirit didn't record this text and then preserve it for us for a couple thousand years so we could be impressed with the demon. He's showing us a worst-case scenario so we can know of God's power. We see the dynamic product here. An amazing series of events unfolds. We see the demons come out, and the Bible says in verse 10, they entered into the swine, and, and the herd ran violently down a steep slope and uh, a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000 and they were choked in the sea. People have wondered why would Jesus have allowed unclean spirits to enter into the swine? Now you have to remember these swine were unclean animals to the Jews. They were against the uh, Mosaic legal system and for that reason Jesus he, he uh, uh, did what he is allowed to do as God. I don't know that his move would have pleased PETA. They probably would have uh, you know, picketed Jesus for this move but uh, th this was an unclean spirit. You'll remember these were unclean animals and, and Jesus did what he could do. It, it didn't take long for word to spread in that community and as the people ran to see what was happening they saw this man who was notorious for his evil notorious for his evil and he's sitting and clothed and in his right mind the change was profound the people couldn't believe what they were seeing in fact it brought fear to their hearts just to think of the power that changed this one now this man still had a lot to learn he had a lot to experience a lot of growing but that was the first day in his new life. He went from out of control. Under control. <laughs> to sitting and in his right mind. That was the first day in his new life. 
There was a new man in the truest sense of the word. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And I want to say today, please hear me. Jesus changes lives. I know that's true. I see it in the Word of God, but I want to share with you today. I know that Jesus changes lives because He's changed my life. Now, don't mistake that to mean that I've arrived, that I've, I've reached the pinnacle of living. I'd be the first to tell you, I'm not anywhere near where I'd like to be, but I'm grateful that I'm not where I once was. God began a work in my life the day I came to know Him and accepted Him as my Lord and Savior by faith. He started a work in me, and He's been performing it, and He's been working on me, and He's bringing me along. I've got a lot of growth yet ahead of me. I've got a lot more, uh, by, by the way, of gains that I need to see. But I want you to know that Jesus Christ changes lives. The change, it it all commences when we come to Him by faith and it continues as we live by faith and it will culminate when our faith becomes sight, whether by way of death or whether by way of the rapture. We know that Jesus is going to be working on us all the way through. A moment ago, we looked at Philippians 1, 6, where the Bible says, being confident this very thing, that He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ. He's going to work in your life and mine. And this all begins when we come to Him in faith. And it continues as we live by faith. As I came to Mark chapter 5, to be honest with you, I prepared the beginning of this message several times and just tore it up. I wanted to get in more to the demonology of it, you know. And I just really felt the Lord saying, this text was not to glorify demons, it's to glorify God. But I I know there's always a question, and I just want to answer it, and I'm not going to spend a great deal of time because it's not the emphasis of our study today. But if you're here today and you have an assurance in your heart that you have received Jesus by faith, you've been born again, I want you to know there's no way that an unclean spirit, a demon, can possess you. Because if you're a believer, you've been indwelt of the Holy Spirit of God, and He's just not going to let that happen. And I want you to understand that. The Bible tells us in 1 John 4 and verse 4, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I want you to have that confidence, but I also want you to know this. We can get so caught up in the world, the flesh, and the devil, that we who are free in Christ and have great liberty in Christ can decide in our freedom that we want to live as a captive. What I'm saying is, We can make any decision we want, but once we make our decisions, our decisions make us up. And it's so important that we say, you know something, Lord? I want to live a life that is not controlled by anything save you. So I tried to put Julie to sleep that night, did everything I could think of. We read the Bible, we prayed. I let her feel my muscles. That brought very little comfort. I prepared to leave the room. Julie said, uh, hey, Dad, can you get something for me? She's just tiny at this time, you know. Yeah, what do you want? So she sent me into her closet where she had her toy box, and, and she had a little Peter Pan, little plastic Peter Pan knife. It wasn't a real knife. It couldn't cut anything. It was a little toy, a little Peter Pan knife. And well, what do you want this for? She said, well, if Captain Hook does come, I want to show it to him. <laughs> I guess she thought that'd scare him away, you know, naturally. 
But she just, she, she just felt better holding that thing, you know. Now, I'm glad to tell you that over the course of a few years, she's discovered that confidence and victory in life, it doesn't come from holding anything other than God. And the beauty about holding on to the Lord by way of a relationship with Him is it's not really our strength that's keeping us all together. The Bible says He's holding us right back. It's a relationship, and, and He's the one leading the way. Jesus in John 10, verses 27 to 29 said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Did you get what Jesus said? He said, if someone's in my hand by way of faith, a relationship, nobody can pluck them out of my hand. He's Jesus. But then he said, no man can pluck them out of my Father's hand. Do you get the word picture Jesus is giving us? That's a very good place to go through life. Understanding the joy that comes from that relationship with God. Trusting Him. A life of freedom in Christ is, I believe, the cumulative effect of taking one step after another. Practically, some would suggest it's the result of 12 steps or any other number of steps. And I would suggest that the freedom comes as we persist in taking one step after another. And I say that based on what it is the Apostle Peter said in 1 Peter 2.21. He said, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow His steps. But it all begins with the first step. The Chinese proverb tells us that a journey of a thousand miles begins with just one step. And the first step to a life of freedom in Christ, it begins with a step of faith that acknowledges our sinfulness and accepts his forgiveness. You see, God has been proactive. He's taken a step of providing for everything we need. And he's just asking us by faith to accept that which he's done for us. Now, I wonder where are you at in this regard today? Our Father, thank you for this opportunity to, to look to your word, to study. I pray that you'd help us to be sensitive to your leading and to be honest. Lord, I know that we're far more sophisticated than this maniac who lived in a tomb, but Lord, we're no better than him. Our intrinsic value is no greater than this man's. We need your help. And I pray that you'd help us today. I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And maybe you're here today and, and you'd say, Pastor, as we saw the power of Christ liberate that man from a worst case scenario, uh, 